Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm your host, Randy Wartelski, and I thank you so much for joining us this fifth day of Hanukkah. And in lieu of an introduction, let us just hear a quick song. We'll come back in a moment, and I'll explain a little bit more. So here we are. Today's topic is food, glorious food. And you may have guessed it. I brought back one of my favorite guests here to talk about food. Dr. Razel Yaish is here. Razel, thank you so much for coming back to talk to us this Hanukkah. Well, thank you for having me, Randy. It's a thrill to be here with you on Hanukkah, a holiday that certainly gives us a lot to talk about regarding food. So Razel, let's tell the listeners a little bit about you. You've been cooking since you were a little kid. When you were just 10 years old, you told your mother you wanted to make Thanksgiving, and you used an Empire turkey calendar to make the whole meal for your Canadian mother. <laughs> That's true. Grew up listening to radio food shows and even called in your opinions on Jewish food a couple of times. That's me. And you are the kind of person who reads cookbooks for fun. Yeah. In fact, my husband tonight, as I uh, yesterday when we were talking about this show, he said... Um, are you sure you have enough to talk about with Randy about food for an hour? I said, don't you worry. I love thinking about food, talking about food, and especially as it relates to our Jewish culture and holidays. It's I know they say in our culture it's, it's all about food. That is us. We like food more than we like drink, and, uh, and Hanukkah gives us lots of days to think of different ways to approach it. I'm glad to be here to do that with you. And you're right that there's so much that in our culture that revolves around food and specifically now in Hanukkah, everything, even, you know, out there in the secular world, everything about Hanukkah is gelt, chocolate gelt, sufganiyot, and da, 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 latkes. And it's all about the oil. And, you know, after eight nights of eating all this stuff, you just, you got to feel sick after a while. What can we do this Hanukkah? We've got three nights left. We've got big Shabbos coming up ahead of us. What can we do this Hanukkah to change it up a little bit? Great question. Uh, I'm curious how many latkes you've already, already eaten, Randy. What's your count, do you think? How many kinds of latkes? Let's start there. Well, I'm so boring. Just potato. Just potato. Oh, man. We're going we're gonna to wake your, up your taste buds a little but bit. But I've heard show. people who've made like zucchini latkes and avocado latkes and... We got some, we got a wild rice latke for you coming, coming your way this show, which is a little healthier. So even if adding just some fiber into the latke, you're still frying it, but can give you a little bit of a health kick. And I have to tell you, there are healthier ways to fry. I'm not taking away the frying though, because it's what makes latke so great. But there are some, some tips that I can give you and the audience to, to just help us fry a little smarter and make it a little less, uh, as you, Said a little, a little less tough on the digestive system. Um, I actually just came back uh, Sunday. My sister-in-law does a beautiful spread for Hanukkah, 
and she's probably the healthiest eater that I know and the healthiest cook that I know. She had about 50 people in her house. Wow. And I was thinking, how can she pull this off? How can she bring out such healthy, healthy food for everyone when they want those donuts and those fried latkes? And um, there's a lot to learn from what she did, a lot of fresh fish, a lot of salads. But enough of the fried latkes, the sour cream, the applesauce, and some good desserts that were on the table. But when you've got great, tasty, delicious-looking options, you know, you could fill your, your mind and stomach with something else and uh, keep it keep it a little diverse. What's your dip of choice for the latkes? You mentioned sour cream. Oh, my gosh. What's your dip of choice? My family thinks I'm nuts. They can't understand this. But I love sour cream. Give me the full-fat sour cream. And I like strawberry jelly. Instead strawberry of, jelly. It's awesome. You with a potato latke. With a potato latke. Would you eat strawberries and potatoes together? Um, I don't know. You know that's one, not quite reaching my palate. It's not reaching. You got to try the strawberry jelly. There's a, there's a really amazing um, latke that a lot of people may have on Pesach. It's like a matzah meal pancake. And have you ever had that? It's like a, a kremzel. It's called actually. Okay. Yes. Bubble, yeah. I've heard of kremzel. Yes. So it's like a fried matzah meal and egg type of pancake, and that one traditionally is eaten with sprinkled sugar and cinnamon or strawberry jelly. And I guess I thought of it and I said, let me try this on a potato pancake. It's awesome. My son's well, a you know, We don't do strawberry, pan- strawberry, strawberry jelly in my house mm. because we once had the strawberry jelly in our house and we gave it to our daughter to take for lunch to school. Okay. And um, she's three years old and she... Like the way it looked on the bread. I mean, it was pretty. It was red. But then when she got to school, she told her teacher that she's allergic to it because oh, no. she didn't want to eat it. She decided it was. So we don't do strawberry jelly anymore. Okay. Well, yeah, they have to be careful if you're already allergic to other things that go with strawberry jelly. There's a lot of families that have removed that from their homes. But uh, So I'm very boring. Good. I just eat the, the, the potato laka. I don't even need to dip it in anything. No applesauce, no nothing. No, straight up. Okay. A little salt, maybe? Okay. I'm a salty kind of gal, so like maybe a little salt, but I don't dip it in anything. All right. Well, we'll give you a few ideas. happens to also be the season of citrus. It's winter, and I always think it's contrary to what you think, right? That cold, freezing winter is when you'll get the best oranges, grapefruits, pomelos, but that's what it is. So um, another nice thing people do is kind of use the contrast of the citrus to cut some of the oil of the latka. We can talk about how some ways to do that as well. Interesting. Interesting. And you have, uh, later on in the show, you're going to share some Shabbos ideas with us? Yep. We'll, we'll do some Shabbos thoughts, some a little more linked to Hanukkah, some just some great things that I couldn't, I couldn't pass up sharing with the audience. Uh, some great easy ideas that we all need this Shabbos after we're a little cooked out and we want to taste good but not work too hard. And then, and then also later in the show, we're going to do something to talk about that I shouldn't be talking about, which is a Sephardic donut. Uh, a Sephardic Sufganiya, if you will. Don't give it all away now. Uh, okay, we'll keep it, we'll keep a little something to surprise it. It'll be our dessert for the show. So let's go back to what you called uh, healthy frying. Okay, it's a great topic. And and actually, um, when I spoke about this uh, buffet, and if you're just joining now, but um, I was part of this amazingly healthful and delicious Hanukkah buffet this past Sunday where there were latkes, but they were also fried very wisely. So what do I mean? When you are frying, if you don't have a deep fryer like in a, uh, you know, massive restaurant or factory that's producing latkes, we're standing at our oven, we've got one frying pan going, maybe if we're really fancy and we're trying to produce a ton of latkes, maybe we have two going at the same time. 
And what happens is, as the pans heat up, you've got your oil in there. Um, best oil to use for frying, uh, not olive oil. It's going to smoke up, it's going to get a little too smelly, and it's going to blacken a little faster than you'd like. A plain canola oil. If you're not allergic, you can use a peanut oil, a grapeseed oil. Those are oils that fry a little cleaner. So they'll take a while before they start to blacken. Um, just an interesting point of note. Do you know why a sufganiya is called a sufganiya? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. I Maybe know. you'll tell me. I didn't know before this either. But lisfog, this is one reason at least that I saw. Lisfog, like sponge? Like sponge. What do you think that sufganiya is sponging? Oh, up? that's so gross. <laughs> Right? That's so gross. So we want to not have our sufganiyot and latkes sponge up and absorb too much of the oil. We want them to crisp, us, crisp, crisp up quickly on the outside so they cook and get that delicious golden brown crunch that we all wait for, right? Who wants a soggy latka right. or a really doughy donut without any golden brown outside? You want that crisp outside crunch and you want it to cook enough on the inside so it's not raw, right. that it's fluffy and delicious. And the way you do that without soaking up too much oil is that your oil is hot when you put in the batter. And sometimes you need to stop and let the oil cool off a little bit before you add in the next round. I'm not talking stop and take a break and go, you know, do your laundry. I'm talking give it a few minutes, let the oil cool down so that it's not boiling hot when you put in the next batch of latkes. If you're not using a thermometer that a deep fryer comes with, you need to kind of eyeball and see that it's not smoking. So you got your clean oil, right. grapeseed, peanut, canola, one of those nice oils. You're getting it really hot when you're putting in the, the batter. And then periodically you're stopping to cool down the pan for a little bit, then raise up the heat again so you're starting the process again. So you're not burning the oil and you're not causing it to soak in the oil too fast. If you do that, Randy, you're going to have not such a spongy soaking oil process and a little bit of a lighter latka. Now, here's my other question. For those of us who are planning to make latkes for Shabbos, so you're frying them earlier in the day on Friday, and then you're planning to not eat them for a couple of hours after you fry them. And often I find, and I find this with potato kugel also when I make it for Shabbos, is that... Of course, it's best when it's fresh out of the oven, when it's, and you know, when your latkes are best when they're fresh off the pan. And sometimes I find that when they sit for a little while, because the oil sort of has a chance to like live in the latka or yeah. live in the kugel, if you will, it, it loses a little bit of its, of its taste. I mean, it's, it's not as delicious as it was when it was fresh, when it was more fresh. What can we do to keep that fresh taste in the latka? Or, you know, keep the oil from getting so saturated in the latka that all you taste is oil if you're eating it a couple of hours later. Okay, you, your viewers can't even see me nodding, nodding so vigorously over here. It happens to be, because I'm someone who likes to learn and listen and think about food, I kind of refresh myself on this stuff as the season comes around, as every season comes around. And I have a few favorite food people that I like to listen to on the radio and some books I like to read. So I actually didn't know a solidly great answer to this question, and I'm so happy you asked me. Um, I actually heard the Fairway guys interviewed and out here on the East Coast. I'm not sure how far Fairway extends. It's a really massive supermarket. If you've ever been to Fairway, if you yeah. shopped there, mm -hmm. lots of fun products, um, kosher and non-kosher. And uh, the owners, who sounded like they had Jewish names, were being interviewed about latkes this week on the radio. And they were asked this very question. How do you prepare so many latkes in your store? Right. And how do you keep them crispy and fresh to serve to your customers? So with the caveat that they're slightly better 
when they're right out of the pan. Of course. And there's nothing in life that isn't slightly better when it's right out of the pan. Right. They said that if you are frying the way I described, a clean, crisp fry. So the laka isn't already coming out too soggy to start with. And they actually, in their store, don't use a deep fryer. They said they actually do them on the oven with a really? fr- with frying pans. And then you actually put them on paper towels on 9 by 13 trays or whatever size they use. But on our homes, we would use 9 by 13 trays and cover them. You can leave them overnight and crisp them up in the oven. And they come out, crisp them like literally 10, 15 minutes in a 350 oven. Take out the paper towels first. Right, of course. Um, that they should be as tasty. I decided I'm going to do a test in my house this week. I had some latkes that we finished that we had left over, and I wanted to use them the next day. So I did half in the oven, and I did half in the frying pan with almost no oil. No oil. In my house, the latkes in the frying pan beat out the ones in the really? oven. Really? They tasted as if they had come out the day before. Wow. So for the home cook, from my home kitchen to yours, I'm going to recommend if it's small amounts, recrisp them in your frying pan with just Pam spray. And they were awesome. Interesting. So that's my recommendation to you. For big bulk amounts for Shabbos, go with your trays, pop them in your 350 oven, warm them up. Yeah, 10 minutes. Meaning if it's going to be on Shabbos, put them on your blech, I guess, you know, and keep them, keep them on top of the oven so they don't burn or get too soaked, as you said. Right. And they should be great. And what are some other ideas aside from potato latkes that might be a healthier choice? Okay, so if you still have time to put out um, either for Shabbos or maybe for Sunday, or maybe tomorrow night is your big family party. Still a couple, three more, we've got three more nights of yep. Hanukkah, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Sunday day, I know a lot of families are still using that day. Right, got to grab that last Sunday. Right, mm-hmm. so, you know, in our, in, our, in our Jewish schedule, we still have got a full day of celebration before the nightfall. Um, so I think there is some time to still put out a really nice dairy Hanukkah spread. So some of the ideas I'm going to give you right now could go either dairy or meat. So okay. we're going to try. Um, this is not a latka, but a fried item. Have you ever eaten a quesadilla? Have you done that? I have. Okay. So a quesadilla is a tortilla, round, flat bread. comes in a mini size or a larger size. They're fun to fill with whatever you like. Typically, people like to put in cheese. People like to put in some avocado or some tomato or some spices, but just plain old cheese and spices. Kids love these. You fold them in half. You put them in a frying pan. On this one, we don't even need a heavy amount of oil because the tortilla will crisp up really quickly. Have you made them? I've never made them, but I've eaten them. Okay, so you fold your you fold your circle in half. I would put in even a slice of like a pepper jack cheese, which is like has a little bit of a zing a zing to it. And you put it in your frying pan, press down with a spatula, fold it in half. And then when it's a little brown on one side, you flip to the other side. You cut that into four triangles, and you have them on a plate with some kind of dip. That's a fried, yummy, crunchy item, in keeping with the spirit of the frying of the holiday, but it looks a little different on your latke platter. So right. that's an easy one. Um, another idea to do is um, something also, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a, like a bit of a, my buffet thoughts kept going back to a, a Mexican or kind of a Southwestern theme, um, but polenta, which is a cornmeal mush. doesn't sound so exciting when you call it mush. But polenta is a grain, a cornmeal that you cook. It's cooked like a grain, cooked like a rice. And when you finish cooking it in a pot, it's like a yellow kind of mush. But if you take your polenta and you put it out into a 9 by 13 pan, spread it out into a pan, 
It was actually eaten way back when in Eastern Europe. It was called like Mama Liga. It was like something like really you could order in, in like the old-fashioned Jewish restaurants, the dairy restaurants of old, um, and it would be eaten then as like a mush. But what, you're, what we're going to do here is we're going to take our polenta, put it in a 9 by 13 pan, let it set for about an hour in the fridge, and then it becomes solid. Cut it into, again, triangles or squares and fry those in a frying pan. They're crispy, golden brown on the outside, creamy on the inside. They're kind of like a corn cake, a fried corn griddle cake. Easy, yellow, golden, pretty. Plain. Plain. No spices. No spices. And then you're going to top it like you would either Randy's salt. Right. <laughs> or you're going to go sweet and do sour cream, applesauce, or strawberry jelly. Strawberry jelly. That's what you're going to do. Strawberry jelly with polenta. <laughs> with polenta. I like that. Yeah. Keeping in the spirit of the frying, mm-hmm. but staying away from potato latkes, which you may have had for the last, you know, couple of nights. Right. We're hitting that point where they're getting a little tired, you know? Yeah. I mean, we had, we had sufganiyot as a dessert for lunch today, and then... We had them again at dinner, and it's like, my gosh, two meals of sufgani oat. I mean, and, and that's after, you know, four days of eating latkes. I mean, you got to give yourself a little break here. So this is where you and I are different, because I could eat sufgani oat every day. Well, I could, but I don't <laughs> want to. Right. You know, I, I don't want to keep eating donuts, you know. Right. But we're going to talk about donuts later. So um, I, I love those two ideas of the the substitution for the potato latke, mm-hmm. although the potato latke could never really be substituted but after you've had a couple of days of it, you've got, you know, two great ideas. And by the way, we should remind our listeners that they can always email me, randy at nachamsegel.com, if they missed something about what you said or they wanted some clarification. We definitely could get that email to Razel, and Razel could answer your email as well. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back right after this.
Welcome back to Something to Talk About. We're sitting here with Dr. Razel Yaish, a self-proclaimed foodie who says she can always find something to make in the house no matter what ingredients are around. And she talks about being married to a Yemenite man and learning a whole new way of using flavors and spices and vegetables, which she's going to tell us a little bit about in a little while. And uh, Razel, we were talking about some healthy options for frying earlier. And um, I was thinking if I were to, um, let's say I know some people are headed to their Hanukkah parties tonight. Some people are making parties Saturday night or Sunday, trying to get in the last couple of days of Hanukkah with some family. What are some buffet ideas that you have that might just be a healthier answer to all of the fried foods that we've been eating all week? Okay, great. So we have um, an excellent idea is to always have on the, on the range top or in a crock pot some kind of big, delicious vegetable-based soup. And, uh, you know, keep it as allergen-free as you can for most guests to be able to take a cup or a bowl full. It's a big amount in a big soup, soup pot. And I thought one of the easiest ones you could make for Hanukkah is um, something I love to make. It's a carrot ginger soup. Um, basically, really all it is is onions, carrots, ginger, water, salt, pepper, oil, and garlic. And when you cook all that in a pot... And you let it, you know, if you put in about two pounds of carrots, we're talking a lot of beautiful orange big carrots. Um, what happens is, is that cooks down into You a cut them or you put them in? Oh, the best part of this recipe is you're peeling your carrots and you are dumping them dumping into them this. In. The only thing you're cooking in advance is a little bit. You're kind of getting the onions a little golden in the bottom of the pot. And then you're putting in your carrots, your ginger, your salt, your pepper. If you want a little celery because it adds a little bit. And garlic cloves. If you have, or minced garlic. And that garlic, the, the carrots are just big, huge chunks. You know, you buy those massive carrots from the farmer's market so they're even easier to peel because you're not peeling a whole bunch of skinny So this ones. isn't the kind of carrot soup where you're sticking the immersion blender in. and So you have two options. Either you cook it for a while enough that it's easy for you to make it a little chunky. Mm-hmm. I would say for this to stick your immersion blender in. Okay. I love that immersion blender. <laughs> it's so handy. And... Um, actually, it's a credit, I think, to Susie Fishbein and a lot of her cookbooks that she taught us about the immersion blender and made it like a real common staple in our kitchen. Um, you stick that immersion blender in. And why I love this soup for a possible milchik buffet, although so far everything I said has been able to be used for either or, is if you can pour in a little heavy cream into that soup at the end as a finisher, it just gives it a bit of a richness. And then guests can serve themselves their cup of carrot delicious orange soup and top it with a dollop of sour cream if they like, and a little sprinkle of chives that you keep next to the pot. So that's an easy, healthy option that's sitting out there that'll serve a lot of people, and everyone will just ooh and ah. They just can't get over the flavor and the taste. And you're imagining it with cups? Yeah, you know those great cups and amazing savings, little handle plastic cups? Love that. Yeah, put them out, a ladle. And the portion is small enough that you're not going to get so full on it that you won't eat anything else. Right. Which is often the problem when you're serving a big meal and you start out with a soup. People tend to get so full on the soup that they don't eat a lot of the other items that you've prepared. Yeah, and you don't want that. You but want if you're doing people. just like a cup of soup, then that's like a perfect portion. And you'll watch. You watch people. There's those people are coming back for two or three servings because they realize it's healthy. They realize it's delicious and they want to have more. And then there's people who take their cup and move on to, you know, the carbs and the fish and the and the, and the pastas, and, and, and that was just a taste for them. Right. And you're happy they got to taste it, right. too. So you've got that healthy thing going on. I, ha- I happen to say um, we don't eat enough fish, I think, fresh fish, as 
of people. Uh, we're nervous about it. Gefilte fish for a lot of people or tuna fish is really... That's it. It starts and ends there. Maybe fried fish, maybe fish sticks. Like we're not creative enough. In Fancy is like a salmon. Oh, right. right. That's it. That's it. And I think we're scared of fish. We're scared of bones. We don't know how to do it right, how to buy it, what to ask for. And I have learned just the simplest thing to do is to ask if you have, if you're lucky enough to have a great fish store near you or a great fish department in a kosher, you know, supermarket or a big supermarket. What you want to do is you want to get a really big fillet of fish for company. It could be salmon, which is easy and familiar, so we're not scared of it. Right. It could be trout. It could be something called steelhead trout, which looks like salmon. And what happens is it gives you a big piece of fish. It's like a side of fish almost. And it's boneless. And it's just sitting there looking at you. You're looking at it. And all you have to do is season the top of it and put it in the oven. Okay, so what do you use for the seasoning? So there's so many different things you could do. You could put salt, pepper, and a little breadcrumbs, and that comes out golden brown and delicious. You could put a little bit of mustard, actually, honey and mustard, and put that on top. Cool. Um, my favorite thing really to do is a little dill, fresh dill, salt and pepper, and garlic. Spray it with Pam or sprinkle it with olive oil, whichever one you know works better for you. And you're baking it in the oven. And the key here is just not to overbake it. So really, that's the, like there's... There's nothing much else yeah, to that's do. that's almost the hardest part sometimes. It is. Is You know, you could have a great dish prepared, and then you stick it in the oven, and you kept it in like 10 minutes too long or 7 minutes too long, and suddenly it's dry and boring. You've ruined it. So what are the parameters of... So real foodies um, don't mind fish that has a bit of an op- almost like a rawness to it. I-, I can't do it. I'm nervous. I don't know. I need, I need my fish to be... Well-cooked and not raw-looking at all and not overdone. So um, this is something you're going to – it takes a little bit of experience. You can also look it up on the online, which is a great timer for how many pounds of piece – how many pounds your filet ends up being, and you'll know that because you bought it. So you can look at the little label on the package. Right. I'll tell you how long to cook it. And um, you can slightly undercook it if you're going to rewarm it again before the party. And then you put it out with a pretty fork and a knife, and guests serve themselves. They cut off as much as they want on your buffet. Healthy, delicious, beautiful, and people eat a lot. We'll finish that up, that side of fish for you. Okay, so we have our soup. We have our fish. What else is on our table? Okay. Well, how, did we all, how did we, young people, cut our teeth on cooking? For me, um, I started cooking really young. I was doing all this fun stuff. But for a lot of my peers, when our friends started to, as single young women, making our way in the world, either we were cooking for ourselves in our own apartments or we were um, cooking for our friends uh, getting engaged, getting married, and making shower food, right? Remember those days of oh, yes. plugging a quiche or a salad or some kind of baked good over to someone's apartment um, to celebrate the joy, really, of this amazing milestone in our friends' lives. So I, I came up with two recipes that were just knockout shower recipes. And so made, you were a good person to invite to a bridal shower. Yeah, that was a fun thing back, back in the day. I haven't had enough of those now. We've got to get some more of those on the, uh, on the map. But, um, but two, one, one that I think works amazingly well for a buffet. It's called Mac and Cheese Bristol. Way back when, I got it from somewhere on the infant stages of Internet food. I don't even remember if I could find it now. We, we could all search for the it. The name and Mac and Cheese, for sure, is scaring off some of our listeners. <sighs> the cheese, you think? What People do you think? think mac and cheese, and they think like you know wacky mac or you know things that don't 
appeal to their palate. To a grown-up sensibility. So, yeah. All right. So what, what, when people eat this macaroni and cheese, they, they, they want it again and again. And I think the secret to the more adult taste is there is a pretty significant amount of dry mustard powder in this recipe, which makes it a bit more of a grown-up taste than your kid's Wacky Mac. It's a little bit of a, of a, of a, a bit of a zingy kick in there, I guess equivalent to in a very subtle way because it's not at all as spicy as horseradish, but something that wakes up your taste buds a little bit makes you want to take another bite. Maybe if you've ever been someone who put like a little cayenne pepper or hot red pepper on your pizza, and if you've ever tried that, it changes the, the flavor profile. It's a little more exciting in your mouth and you kind of scary, but you want to taste, you want to take another, another, another bite. So mac and cheese Bristol is basically a, uh, you know, you're going to boil up your mac and cheese and you make what kind of cheese are we using? Again, this is how how exciting you want your taste buds to be. If you think it's a, pretty I want them to be very excited. <laughs> so if you think it's a pretty daring crowd, you're going to use a sharp cheddar, which again is going to be something that's just a bit a bit more grown up and a bit more exciting. I find kids actually prefer this because they don't they're not used to it, but they say, "Wow, this tastes." really good and this is something that they haven't had they've used a processed american cheese right. and mozzarella cheese mozzarella cheese yeah. and munster cheese something that's really kind of bland and boring and they think they like it but then they'll say hmm why does this taste so good right what's going on here um if you really have an adult adult company that wants to you know maybe make half with some of that pepper jack cheese i referenced earlier um that has a little bit even more of a kick to it um but I wouldn't go too much crazier than that because there's something nice about the creamy, simple pasta that we know and love, a flour-based um, cream sauce that has like a flour, a milk, the dry mustard that you're cooking in a, in, a, in a pot and you're dumping your cheese into there. And what it does is it's something called a roux. It's a fancy word, but we're not going to scare anyone. For those people who know what I'm talking about, they're, they're, they're going to understand when you're, when you're cooking flour and milk, and cheese, you're making kind of a, like a uh, a creamy mush that has a fancy French term. But what it does is it's, it's something that you would like want to lick off the spoon. That's how delicious it, delicious it is. And you're mixing that delicious creamy cheesy sauce into the, the cooked pasta in a big, big dish. You're baking it in the oven. You're topping it with breadcrumbs. And, you know, people will not be able to stop serving themselves from that pan. If you're going for a lower fat option. The milk doesn't have to be whole milk. The milk could be skim milk. And if you need a lower fat cheese, you could do it. This recipe can tolerate a lot of changes because there's so much flavor in it from the mustard, the, the pepper, um, and uh, I think just the bubbly goodness of it, that if it's a little lower fat, it can be okay. It sounds delicious. So, and if, you, and if you're comfortable that you're not eating the whole pan, but everyone's just taking a little bite, you know, there is something tasty about using And you're saying that it's a dish that's mature enough for your grown-up audience but friendly enough for your kids. Right. So it's out there on your buffet table for the kids who won't look at that delicious side of fish we cooked because it's the dill is too green or it's something they're not familiar with. They'll try this mac and cheese. Right. So that's a great option. In keeping with uh, with Hanukkah, another fun dairy option, and I'm just excited about dairy because how often do we get to cook dairy for right. our guests? We're right. so often cooking meat meals um, or even not as dairy, but, uh, you know, something that's a little different is um, frying eggplant rounds and making a great eggplant parmesan. That's something easy. You can actually go a real shortcut, and that would be buying pre-fried eggplants, um, which we now sell in every freezer case in every kosher market. They certainly don't taste the same as frying them yourself or baking them yourself in the oven with a a lot of oil. 
Um, but um, very reasonable and good option. Layer that with sauce and Parmesan cheese. Try that on instead of the you know the shredded or grated mozzarella Munster. Um, that lets you put a little less, and it's a stronger flavor, so you don't need to put as much on there. Bake that with a delicious sauce and cheese, and I can share the recipe with anyone. Another big buffet uh, dish that is a big success. I think those are enough things, actually, to, to get you going. A plate of nachos works really well. That's, uh, again, you can use baked or fried nacho chips, refried beans, avocados, salsa, lots of different vegetables. Keep refilling that as it needs. People love that. Kids love that. Adults love that. And that is a fun buffet. And there are lots of different tastes going on in our buffet. We've got a little bit of sweet. We've got a little bit of spicy. We've got a little bit of tangy. We've got lots of different tastes going on over there. I actually didn't even give you a recipe for a fresh green salad. You need a big fresh green salad, some cut-up vegetables. You've rounded out all the sides. And now we're ready for what, Randy? What's the best part of any buffet? We are ready for dessert, Randy. Oh, come on. Totally and completely we're ready for dessert. So, um, but our, our dessert falls under the uh, something to talk about that I shouldn't be talking about. Am I right? Well, there's a couple parts to our dessert. I mentioned earlier that we're going to get to the winter citrus, and, and that's something you can put out. Beautiful bowls of oranges, grapefruits, Israeli pomelos, tangerines. Sliced. Do you cut them up in funky shapes? I would cut them in wedges and circles and leave a few small ones whole. People will go wild looking at the colors and the taste, and it cuts through a lot of the, you know, the the foods that you've eaten throughout the night, and really again wakes up your taste buds and gets gets them ready for dessert. Um, So that's a beautiful thing to put out. I was recently at a Shabbos bar mitzvah where they had a very beautiful um, orange display on the buffet table that. Um, I can't really just, I, I could do my best to describe the glass. I guess it was sort of like a hurricane, a hurricane glass, but it was very, very tall. And the bottom of the, of the dish was filled with very large oranges that got smaller in size as the bowl came to, um, you know, came tapered a little bit cl- tapered to the top. Um, and it was, it was very beautiful. And I was thinking that could be a great thing to put on your buffet. You know, you can mix up all of the citrus fruits because they're all different sizes and all, you know, in the same sort of color family. And you can have your, your larger size fruits on the bottom and then go smaller as you go up in the bowl. And that's just, could also be a centerpiece on your place. Sounds beautiful. Uh, you know, make, sure table. make sure your guests will eat them also because you want them to eat them. I know. That's <laughs> the hard part is that when they look so pretty on the no table, and nobody eats them because right. they look too pretty. Okay, so we're going to get to the rest of the dessert from our buffet table right after this. Oh, you are. Say, I shall, I shall, I shall. 
Glorious food. That's our topic today. We're sitting here with Razel Yaish, who's talking about some wonderful, amazing things that you can do to salvage your stomach this the, the last few days here <laughs> of Hanukkah. Um, so something to talk about that I shouldn't be talking about, Razel, that you're going to talk about, Sephardic Sufganiyot. Talk to us. Okay. So where does Sufganiyot come from? No one really knows. No one really knows. Germans and Austrian and Polish Jews claim a heritage to Sufganiyot. Um, and that's the more spongy kind of donut that we're familiar with. As soon as I married my wonderful Yemenite husband, who I love, and my Yemenite family is actually coming over uh, tonight to do our special uh, celebration in my home, they he dreams of something called zalabia. Zalabia is a word many know, many don't know. Um, zalabia are Yemenite or Sephardic donuts. Tiny little cute golden brown, crunchy little things that I guess might be more well-known as like a fritter, a little crispy, light, fried, sweet object. And in Israel, a lot of people will say that's the origin of Sufganiyot. And um, they may have different names. In Greece, they're called Lucamades. Sephardic, uh, Spanish people will call them Bimuelos, but they're all very similar. And what are they? What is Zalabia? To the degree that my husband literally has been talking about them for three weeks. He cannot wait to eat them. And I can't possibly, despite my cooking prowess, make them like his. 
mother. Thank God. So she's coming over to do them uh, tonight, and I can't wait to eat them. Uh, but what is a zalabia? It's a yeasted dough, similar to the you know the Polish, German, Austrian um, version of a sufkania, flour, yeast, water. My mother-in-law says you have to throw a tablespoon of sugar into the uh, into the batter because that way when it fries, it immediately becomes golden brown. So you can never fail. So it's her foolproof secret. The water and the yeast and all that stuff bubbles and rises, and you let it sit for an hour. So that's something, for example, I might do before she comes so it's ready for her when she you know, walks through the door to fry. So you're not like me who's taking the box of frozen pizza dough out of the freezer, defrosting <laughs> it, frying up a little... Little pieces and calling that sufgani out. You know, Randy, there is what to be said for that also. Because <laughs> that's my trick. That's because my little secret. That is a great secret. I'm so glad you shared it because that will work for another part of a buffet. We're going to make those little pizza dough donuts and have our kids fill them with whatever they want. And that's delicious. So you'll have the, the Ashkenaz style donut and you'll have our little crispy Zalabia fritters on the table. Once you have your dough, it's a thin fr- risen dough. You take little spoonfuls of this dough, and if anyone was listening before, remember our clean frying techniques, hot oil, it's not smoking, we're dropping little spoonfuls of dough into this oil. It puffs up, becomes golden brown almost instantly because they're so small. It's about a tablespoon or two tablespoons of dough. You quickly take them out of the oil, and a traditional zalabia is then dipped in a sugar-water mixture. Um, real traditionalists add something called rose water or orange blossom water to their sugar water mixture. My family doesn't. Just the sweetness of the sugar in the water or sometimes honey um, gets this, gets dipped on the donut, gets dipped into this, and then they sit there beautiful, crispy, and sweet waiting for you to devour them. They don't last long. They're so perfect right then and there as they are that they get eaten up. And that is a Sephardic donut. Love it. Love it. And what were you saying before about donuts for the kids? Uh, We're not doing Make Your Own Sunday anymore? No, we're moving on from that. This is something I actually picked up this year from my school that I work at. I work in an amazing, um, terrific girls' high school. Um, And what we did this year was we had a caterer make for us big, beautiful donuts that were empty of filling. And so either you can do... The trick that you just said, which is use pizza dough, frozen yeah. pizza dough, which is actually used in a lot of Israeli families, actually. It's a, tr- a trick that people use. Um, so you are smart that you Well, I've that. heard that people go to the pizza store and they buy pizza dough. Brilliant. So at least it's fresh dough. But I use the one from the freezer. Freezer. And that's actually a great thing also to do to make your own calzones or empanadas or other delicious things. So... The whole world you're opening up there using frozen pizza dough. But let's say you really want to even ask a baker just to make you some unfilled donuts. And what you do is you put out bowls of filling, jelly, vanilla pudding, chocolate pudding, custard, whipped cream, and you put little like a... Yeah, what's the trick to getting it inside the donut? So you have all different things. You could try different things with kids, right? So you could have a... Uh, frosting bag with a tip, like a fancy one like the decorators use, and they stick it inside and they squeeze it. You could try medicine droppers. Could the, the girls love that. Actually, you kind of suck up the jelly and you just squirt them in. And um, some people just used a little spoon and made a hole and stuffed in the filling that they wanted. That would keep the kids entertained for a while. And that's really great also because there are so many children who shy away from donuts because they don't like the jelly. Yeah. So this is a great option for kids to fill it with custard, fill it with, 
you know, whatever, whatever you want. Whatever you want. And actually, you can get some frosted and some unfrosted so that the frosting's already on there. And for those kids who want to top it with their topping and dip it in sprinkles, great. Put out your sugar water for your smarty guests so they'll Love dip it, it in the sugar water. So that sounds like such an awesome buffet. I'm so excited to try some of those things at our family party, Motsi Shabbos. Uh, you have any ideas for us coming up this weekend? I know, you know, Shabbos Hanukkah, big weekend, lots of people spending time with family. What are, you have any good Shabbos ideas for us of things that we can do to make our table a little different this year? Yeah, as I was getting so excited about the buffet, I realized with the countdown to Hanukkah, really tomorrow we're all going to be paying um, attention as Shabbos pulls in to, you know, to, to another big, rich, beautiful meal for our families. Um, so I wanted to give some easy ideas. Uh, I'm going to give you a few quick ones. Again, I'm a big fan of soup. I'm not worried it's going to fill up the guests. They love it. And uh, a shout-out to a friend, Susie Fishbein's new cookbook, where she is popularizing Yemenite soup, which is something my family eats a lot of. It's so simple. It is so delicious. It's mind-blowingly delicious. If you eat meat, it is a meat-based soup. You need to be able to eat meat to eat this soup. You buy a couple cheap and inexpensive marrow bones, knee bones, which sounds scary, but taste delicious and you don't serve them to your guests so they don't have to see them. They just know that it tastes good. Um, and some kind of inexpensive uh, stew meat or shin meat or cheek meat. They all sound a little weird, but you put them into the pot, brown them a little bit, add onions, garlic, um, tomato paste, a big carrot cut in chunks, big potato peeled and cut in chunks. Um, and if you have it, what's called a Yemenite spice mixture, it's called Hawaii. If you don't have it, you take some cumin, turmeric, hot paprika, pepper. I've actually heard of Hawaii. Oh, good. There you go, Randy. There it's you go. Fun. My it, mother-in-law likes Hawaii. It really, there's two kinds. They're sweet for coffee and spicy for meat dishes. Put that into the pot. Put in your water. Let it cook. There is no way that this soup can be bad. So you're serving that on Friday night to really happy guests. That's a great alternative to chicken soup. Just something different for the week when you've had a lot of you know, kind of different types of like more Ashkenaz taste and you may want to wake up your taste buds, this is a, this is a great option. Um, another amazing dish that taught me the power of marinating when I was a young bride, a friend gave this to me in my recipe box that she purchased for me and I have never stopped using it. It's a um, fancy sounding dish. It's called like chicken with prunes and capers. I remember thinking, who would ever use prunes and capers? At that time, that was even a little exotic for me. Um, and basically, it's just cut up chicken pieces, marinated in oregano, garlic, pepper, red wine, vinegar, and olive oil. And um, you add some, some prunes and uh, capers, white wine, and cilantro, and you marinate this. And I never understood how that changes the flavor of a dish. I wasn't a big marinator. You leave this in your oven, your, 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 your fridge overnight. You pop it in. When you get home from work, well, actually, with these really short Shabbases, you need to make sure you plan enough time you to cook get that through. Before work. Before work, you cook that through, and you serve that amazing chicken with my recommendation of wild rice pancakes. Wild rice pancakes and my dessert are both inspired by another popular cookbook. When you're someone who loves food, you love to read cookbooks and um, pick up ideas. Um, the Joy of Kosher with Jamie Geller, someone who's always thinking about new ways to make easy kosher cooking in the kitchen. I don't know her personally, but she has some fabulous ideas. And if you mix wild rice with scallions, a little bit of egg, potato starch, soy milk, and you make cooked wild rice and you fry or bake these into patties or latkes, uh -huh. makes a great side dish for this fancy chicken with prunes and capers that has so much flavor. 
popping and you serve them with the wild rice pancakes. It sounds delicious. And last but not least, Randy. Dessert. We're going to take you to dessert. Love it. When I was a young camper in Sleepaway Camp, and you and I both love Sleepaway Camp, right? We're big Sleepaway Campers. Yes. Um, we had a baking workshop, and and this baking workshop, um, you knew you had an option. You could sign up for it. And I knew I was going to sign up for this. I couldn't wait to see what I would learn in this uh, in this class. And to this day, I'm not as confident a baker as I am a um, working with meat or chicken or, or fish or vegetables. And I learned a recipe that I took with me and I have still made. What it is, it's called a Boston cream pie. Boston cream pie. I love pie. it already. You love it already, right? Love it already. <laughs> cream, chocolate, cake. Boston cream pie is not a pie. It's actually a cake. It's a yellow sponge cake or a yellow cake. Two layers in between a sandwich, that delicious custard filling that's inside a soufganiyah or a uh, custard-filled donut and topped with a amazing, an amazing chocolate frosting. And you can make this small in round cake pans, two nine, two nine inch round cake pans. We can make it really large in two enormous sheet layers, which is how we learned how to make it in camp because we were cooking for tons of people. And, um, this recipe I will tell you just for sheer, you know, saving time and not to, you know, to, to keep everyone be on their toes is on the web of Jamie Geller's A Joy of Kosher website. But you can find lots of them. What I love about this recipe, and I've replaced Sorry, Jamie, the uh, creamer with almond milk, uh, which works for people who aren't allergic. ShopRite has an amazing pot of almond milk. Very hard to find, but in any ShopRite is there. And it, it replaces beautifully. It makes this luscious, layered, creamy cake, which evokes a massive chocolate-covered custard-filled donut. What better way to end a Hanukkah Shabbos meal? That sounds so delicious. I, I'm I'm ready to make it. I'm ready to eat it. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll enjoy it uh, together. And I think you know what I love the most about the recipes and the ideas that you give us is um, they're connected with memories. And you know, you talk about your memories of sleepaway camp, and you talk about this this positive uh, connection that you make when you when you bake this kind of this kind of dish. And I think for all of us going into this weekend, going into you know the holiday of Hanukkah. And you can create memories around your table with the delicious food that you present and the, you know, the talk that goes around around the table and um, just presenting interesting things. And I think that's that's what I love the most about when you come on our show is just talking about people and talking about how food isn't always just about food, <laughs> right. but it's about the experiences that you have with the people you know, when you're serving this delicious food. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for letting me share this with your great audience, with you. Um, it's always fun to talk with friends about food, and I'm happy to uh, to bring that joy anytime. Yeah, and let's remind everybody that if there's any portion of this that they missed, our show, our show is encored on Sunday. And if there's anything that you want to go back to, it's going to be archived as well on NachumSiegel.com. And you can always email me for anything that you might have missed on the show. If you want some clarification, you want to get some exact measurements and things like that, Razel is happy to answer all of your questions. And um, we wish you all a happy Hanukkah. Razel, thanks again for joining us. And we hope we've given you something to talk about. Let's give them something.